The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Churchill said, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Kevin Hallinan believes that certainly applies to business. Welcome to Winning Business Radio here at W4CY Radio. That's W4CY.com. And now, your host, Kevin Hallinan. Welcome back to Winning Business Radio. I am Kevin Hallinan. Thanks for being here. The mission of Winning Business Radio, as regular listeners know, is to offer insights and advice to help people avoid the mistakes of others, to learn best practices, you know, the how-tos, the what-tos, certainly the what-not-tos, and to be challenged and hopefully to be inspired by the successes of others. Virtually every successful person that I've ever had a chance to talk to has had some form of failure in their lives and careers. So while we all have to get our knees skinned once in a while, you hear me say it all the time, I'm I'm driven to keep those scrapes from needing major surgery. Let's endeavor to learn from history so we don't repeat it. Today, my guest is Greg Collins, founder, chief, and sole, I like the way you say that, catalyst at Catalyze. Here's his bio. Greg Collins is a change management consultant and leadership effectiveness coach. He helps clients develop growth strategies and build teams capable of implementing those strategies to achieve sustainable revenue and profit growth. His work focuses on aligning a client's executive team as a critical first step in clarifying and implementing any strategy. Greg focuses on both individual and organizational change as the means of delivering extraordinary results. He leads and designs engagements that combine perspectives and tools from strategy, organization development, adult learning, and coaching. Greg works with an organization's leader and leadership team concurrently, both in their work setting and in offsite, both face-to-face and virtual, that he designs and facilitates. He helps his clients increase their individual and team effectiveness. Greg has the ability to sense and make explicit subtle disconnects among members of a team. Much of this work centers on influencing the members of client teams to expand their candidate candidness, I can say that, with one another and to take greater responsibility for their actions as team members. He achieves this goal through a combination of active, uh, excuse me, attentive listening and observation, candid discussion and thoughtful intervention, as well as building self-awareness and the capability to lead more effectively in his clients. Greg believes the most that most consulting and coaching provides little lasting value to the client organization because most consultants and coaches, although adept at engaging their clients' brains, fail to adequately engage the heart, spirit, and imagination of their clients in their organizations or don't sufficiently appreciate the context within the team or within within which the organization operates. Instead, he helps his clients appreciate that leadership and strategy development are active, ongoing, and dynamic processes. Leaders and leadership teams that don't have this appreciation can unintentionally harm their organization's ability to adapt and achieve its goals. Greg's differentiating strength is his ability to hope, uh, helpfully take challenging stances that enable his clients to be more reflective and intentional as they develop strategies to, to deliver tangible results. He does so by having a point of view and being willing to share it as a means of getting difficult issues out in the open. His experiences over the last few decades experience, plural, uh, singular, over the last few decades is split between consulting and having P&L responsibility in a variety of businesses. Greg was previously a founder and partner in, in Axia Limited, which was bought by Accenture. Before that, he was a member of the management team of two other Boston area consulting firms. Having been an entrepreneur and operator, he's well-versed in most aspects and phases of developing and running a business. These experiences enable him to appreciate both the context within his client's operation, as well as engage in substantive discussions about real day-to-day operating and management issues. His clients appreciate his operating background and his ability to walk in their shoes. He has more than 20 years of due diligence experience and acquisition integration. He's developed a robust model and a set of tools to assist his clients in effectively integrating acquisitions. His model's different in that it emphasizes culture, communication, employee transition, and ongoing organizational learning. 
Most integration approaches focus too heavily on the transaction and for a lack of focusing on the more difficult and important people issues, fail to captivate the value upon which the pr- purchase price was predicated. His clients operate in both for-profit and not-for-profit areas and range from startups to Fortune 50 global companies. Partial list of his clients over the years have been Pfizer, Philips, Intermagnetics, General Corporation, Motorola, Cadbury Schweppes, Adidas, Dover Corporation, Sumitomo Heavy Industries, Energizer Holdings, Fat Farm, Seven Cycles, The Craft Group, Ultimate Medical Academy, Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce, Squash Busters, and the Boston Police Athletic League. He holds a master's degree in public and private management from the Yale School of Organization and Management and a bachelor's degree in economics from Cornell. He's also done work in change leadership and adult learning with the faculty from Harvard's Graduate School of Education. Greg resides in Brookline, Massachusetts with his wife, Susan, his two sons, Jared, who's 17, Shane, who's 50, and their dog, Sako. Greg, welcome to Winning Business Radio. Well, thank you, Kevin. Wow. I realized as I listened to you, there are some <laughs> run-on sentences in that, in that bio. <laughs> hey, I just, no, I did tweak it a little bit, but I wanted people to hear the depth of background, the depth of experience in your background. So okay. welcome to the radio show. And here's where I like to start. Where did you grow up? Well, the, uh, the way that I typically answer that question yeah. is I haven't. Oh, good. I was, good. I was raised mostly in, outside of Boston and in Connecticut, outside of Mystic, Connecticut. Uh, And I say I haven't um, grown up because I think a lot of life is about staying open to learning. And when a lot of people grow up, they they stop learning or they don't learn as much. Agreed. What were you into when you were in your younger years, you know, prior to college? So pre-college, my identity was very much wrapped up in athletics. Mm -hmm. And so... And running and cycling were the three sports that I put the most energy into. And um, as an identical twin, um, I always had a doubles tennis partner growing up and somebody to compete against in just about everything. So you name it, if if it existed, it was something that we competed on. Excellent. Excellent. And I I can imagine that has flavored your adult work here. So tell us about your wife, uh, just quickly how you met her and what she does and your two boys. So Susan and I met, uh, in, in fact, our 18th anniversary is tomorrow. Oh, and we met just over 20 years ago on the ferry ride back from Provincetown after having done the two-day, 200-mile bike ride to raise money for cancer research called the Pan Mass Challenge. Excellent. Yep. So we uh, we met on that ferry yep. ride, and the rest is history. That's what they say, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what does she do, and what do the boys do? What are they into? Yeah, so S- Susan is a stylist at Bloomingdale's in Chestnut Hill on Route mm-hmm. 9, and prior to being a stay-at-home mom and caretaker of all things in our in our household, she yep. was a sales manager and business development person in everything ranging from executive search to healthcare to mm-hmm. um, corporate interior design. And wow. she she left doing those sorts of activities to raise a couple of boys and, and continue to raise me yep. and to nurture <laughs> our dog, Sako. Who was named after the town in Maine, I understand, correct? Correct. The town and river. That's where and she river. was bred. Yep. That's awesome. And then uh, Jared is 17, and depending on what happens with COVID and school, we'll be heading off to some college yet to be determined in the yep. fall. And he is uh, it, very interested in things having to do with the stock market and ultimate Frisbee. And Shane at 15 is a, still a soccer lover. And... Um, also interested in gaming and Ultimate Frisbee. Excellent. So Ultimate Frisbee can be played on any quad at any college campus, just FYI, right? Yes. And unfortunately, it is not a recruiting sport. No, (laughs) no. Although it's ubiquitous, right? Yes. Um, So you majored in econ. What was behind that decision? So I started at Cornell yep. in the School of Hotel Administration oh. and thinking that I could get a business education with a hospitality twist, mm-hmm. having worked in restaurants all through high school. And 
by the middle of my freshman fall semester, I realized, no, in fact, that was, I did not do my due diligence as well as I could have. And in fact, it was a hospitality education with a business twist. And I realized that it was the world's most expensive vocational training program. And one of the few things my dad told me at that age that I actually listened to and still remember is you go to college to learn how to learn, not to learn how to do a job. So after three semesters, I left, became a pipe fitter at Electric Boat General Dynamics in my hometown on the fast attack submarines back in the 70s. And when I went back to Cornell, I switched to being an econ major. Excellent. And why Cornell? Because it had the hotel school, which was arguably the best program in the world. Mm. And uh, that, that just seemed like a great place to go. And and my parents put a compass in the map and said, you can go anywhere you want within 300-mile radius of home. Mm-hmm. And Cornell was 308 miles. So I was pushing the envelope, which was one of the ways that I tended to approach life. And for the office fans, it's Andy Bernard's uh, alma mater as well. Uh, um, <laughs> um, so what, uh, I know it was a few years later, but what drove your decision to get your master's in NYU? Yale? So I made the choice to go back to uh, business school as I was a stockbroker living on the West Coast. And um, when I got into being a stockbroker, the Dow, it's going to sound like a crazy number. The Dow was 1,100. Wow. And when I left, it was at 1,800. And my clients and I had done well, and I wasn't confusing a bull market with my brilliance. And so I decided to go back to business school to actually learn more about capital markets and um, then head to New York City and go to actual Wall Street instead of Wall Street via Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And during during my first year, we had the uh, we had Black Friday. I think it was a Friday where the market melted down. And Wall Street was laying off people left and right the whole rest of my first year. So instead of going to Wall Street, I made a pivot, as we hear a lot these days, and uh, did something else. But uh, I chose Yale because it was an elite program that Mm -hmm. was very entrepreneurial. It was less than 10 years old, and the students had much more influence on the governance of the school than was the case at any of the other elite schools around the country. Mm. And I had a phenomenal two years and it's two of the best years of my life and still are, I still am in contact with many of my classmates. That's awesome. Love to hear that. Okay. Tell us about Coopers and Librand, uh, the experience, not the company, but the experience there. So the short answer to that one is it, it was a challenging couple of years mm, and imagine. Um, in an effort to not say anything disparaging, I, I will say I learned a lot about what I wasn't interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate enough to be hired into their high potential development program and I rotated out and helped start their retail consulting practice, oh, which cool. was a lot of fun yeah. and the partner and manager I worked with were great but I decided it was time to branch out and head out on my own after less than two years. Which you did actually. And you started the laughing alley bike shop. Tell us about that. Well, so that, that shop was um, a turnaround. It had been around for 20 years and the owner was somebody who did a favor for me as I headed to Europe to go cycling for eight weeks Mm. after in the summer between business school and joining Coopers and Librand. Mm -hmm. And I just stayed in touch with them during my my CNL days. And uh, I realized that my love of bicycling and all things related to bicycles was drawing me to the business and Mm -hmm. decided to, to jump in with both feet. And actually, we turned the bike around and transformed it from a, a pretty quiet little bike shop into, uh, you know, for lack of a nice way to put it, a, a jewelry store from a revenue and profit per square foot standpoint wow. um, in the middle of Alston, you know, in mm-hmm. Boston. Mm-hmm. And that led to the next stage of my of my bicycle retailing journey. Uh, did you exit that business through a sale or 
how did you, because you went to another um, bike, uh, well, of sorts in that industry, yeah, right? So, so um, I, I left in order to raise angel and venture money to start High Road, which at mm -hmm. the time was the world's largest bicycle shop here also in Boston, mm -hmm. and was interested in acquiring Laughing Alley as, and, you know, kind of like a, a, a Staples Express to to High Road, mm -hmm. you know, a little service operation in Boston. Um, but my partner wanted to stay on his own, so we we just parted ways and mm -hmm. continue to get together and go for bike rides together. Twenty five years later, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. Hey, we're gonna take our first break right here. Uh, we'll be just a couple minutes. We'll be back with Greg Collins, founder and chief and sole catalyst at Catalyze. You're listening to Winning Business Radio with Kevin Hallinan on W4CY Radio. That's W4CY.com. Don't go away. More helpful information is coming right up, right here on Winning Business Radio. Have you ever dreamt of being on the radio? Well, now is your chance. Be a radio show guest on the number one ranked internet radio station and promote you and your business for free. Yes, you heard it, free. Business advertising right here on W4CY.com. Call 561-506-4031 now to get booked on one of our shows. That's 561-506-4031. Get your free advertising now. You can tell what's wrong with a car just by sitting next to it at a red light. You can tear down a big block engine in 26 minutes. You know cars. We can help you find more of them to work on. And together, we can get your small business moving in the right direction. At AT&T Advertising Solutions, we have more ways to reach more people. With print, online, mobile, and direct marketing, AT&T Advertising Solutions has local advertising experts to help your small business find more customers. Call 1-800-GET-REAL to learn more. AT&T. Rethink Possible. Is your pet overweight, suffering from itchy skin and coat problems, showing signs of food allergies? Then do your pet a favor. Stop by Fiesta Pet Deli, South Florida's original and only fresh food deli for pets, prepared daily and FDA approved with products like Bravo, Nature's Variety, and BioComplete. Listen, dogs and cats are carnivores. 90% of their diet should be meat. That dry kibble you put in their bowl every day contains less than half of what their bodies require. Veterinarian owned and operated, Fiesta Pet Deli has one mission, to get your pet as healthy as possible. Give them a call today at 954-971-2500 or come check out their new store at the Festival Flea Marketplace at Sample Road in the Turnpike in Pompano, Florida. They also offer free local delivery, shipping throughout the United States. Check out their website at www.realfoodforpets.com or just Google Fiesta Pet Deli. If you truly love your pet and care about their health, stop by Fiesta Pet Deli. Call today at 954-971-2500. Hey, this is Kenny Wayne Shepherd, and you're listening to W4CY Radio. And now back to Winning Business Radio with Kevin Hallinan, presenting exciting topics and expert guests with one goal in mind, to help you succeed in business. Here once again is Kevin Hallinan. We're back with Greg Collins, founder, chief, and sole, ca I just like saying that, sole catalyst at Catalyze. <laughs> um, so we were talking about Laughing Alley and then High Road. Um, talk about some lessons learned from that time in the bicycle industry. Mm. So the, the, the meta level learning that I got mm. from being in the bike industry is all things being equal, mm -hmm. work in industries that have high gross margin because you mm -hmm. can make a much better living than working in industries with low gross margins. Okay. And the bicycle industry, the retail side of the bike industry, yeah. and frankly, the bike industry in general, is a low gross margin business. Mm. So um, at Laughing Alley, we did a, a, I had a blast. It was probably the most fun I've yeah. ever had working in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And we turned the business around beautifully and transformed the space physically and in terms of the culture 
you know, just it, it was so vibrant. But after almost two years, realized that being able to pay health care benefits and create retirement plans for employees yeah. was going to be damn near impossible in a small scale retail operation in the bike industry. And at exactly that point, I was approached by somebody who was starting to kick around the idea of creating a category killer in the bicycle retail industry. This person had a connection to the same people that put up the seed capital for Staples. And I just, I was intrigued and had a conversation. And about six months later, I was writing the business plan for what became High Road Mm -hmm. and out raising angel and venture money and started two stores. And that was almost as much fun as Laughing Alley. Um, And it provided me even more opportunities to learn lessons, both both wonderful and painful. Mm -hmm. What was a painful one? That um, in our effort to stake out a category killer um, position in the industry, we tried to be all things to all people. Uh. And as a angel and venture backed startup, we were capital constrained. Mm-hmm. And although we had an amazing physical operation and wonderful staff and and really solid merchandise, we are our capex was too high. Our operating costs were were too high as well. And in a seasonal market in New England, um, we we just we didn't raise enough capital, and it was definitely a challenging time. Yeah. So uh, learn yeah. learn to be more focused. Excellent. So then you got back into consulting for a while first at Lucas Group and Tracy and Company. Talk about that transition. I want to really get to Axia. You formed Axia Limited. Um, what was that experience going back into consulting, and then take us into Axia? Sure. So really quickly. It left left the left high road with um, after having opened the second store. That was my commitment to our investors, mm-hmm. and went back into consulting this time in pure strategy with um, an ex Bain partner by the name of Jay Lucas, and he had started the Lucas Group. Had a great couple of years working with Jay and being part of that management team, and then jo- had an opportunity to join Michael Tracy who was the mm-hmm. author at that time of The Discipline of Market Leaders, which was a book that I had read while at High Road, mm-hmm. which helped me to realize, oh, we're trying to push out to being a 10 on all three of the value disciplines that Michael pointed at. And his key assertion was nobody, not even the Microsofts or the Googles of the world, although in those days it was probably GE that we were thinking about. Yeah, okay. Um, can, can afford to push out and be the best at all three of those value disciplines. Mm-hmm. So um, joined Michael and put his model into effect with a variety of clients, some of whom you listed in my bio, mm-hmm. and and then left um, to start Exia with two partners. Okay, so tell us what Exia was, and, and uh, you were there for a good five years. That's a good chunk of time. So Exia was a... Boutique strategy and organizational change consulting firm. Mm-hmm. My two partners did the strategy work, and the the bulk of our revenue came from applying it to strategic global sourcing mm-hmm. and working both for a fee and a percentage of the savings that we were able to generate in our clients' supply chains. Okay, and I did the organizational change work both with some of those same clients and with some other clients as well. Um, And it was a blast. We built it from um, three partners and three or four original employees to 35 employees um, over the course of the next five years. And then I met Susan and we we were both in our early 40s and Mm -hmm. the clock was ticking and being in Brazil every, every other two weeks um, was not conducive to having a kid. Yep. So for that reason and a few others, I uh, sold my interest in the firm to my two partners and went back out on my own and have been doing what I've been doing now for the last 20-ish years. 
So tell us about Catalyze, uh, how you come up with a name. I, I, I love that you call yourself the chief catalyst because yeah, you, you create change, right? Or you facilitate change. Um, so tell us about the company for someone who had, would have, a listener would have no idea what you do. So the similar to my response to, so where did you grow up? Or yeah. tell me about growing up. I can't <laughs> yeah. remember exactly how you phrased it. So, I mean, the bottom line is a catalyst is something, whether it's a person or a substance, that creates change. Mm-hmm. And my job is to work with leaders of organizations, whether those are uh, for-profit or not-for-profit, mm-hmm. and help them overcome the stiction in their organizations or the stiction in their minds about how to approach market opportunities. So I'm, I'm there to change and challenge the status quo. Excellent. Talk about just for a moment how you formed the company. Um, what, you know, give me, take us through that a little bit in terms of entity sure. and, so, and capital and that sort of thing. So a- after, so the nice thing about consulting practices is that they are not capital intensive right. and if you run them properly, they, they can become cash flow positive very quickly. Mm-hmm. And so as was the case with Exia, with a little bit of, the, of seed capital and being fortunate enough to land some clients quickly, um, both at Exia and, and back on my own, mm-hmm. um, the firm was up and running. And, and in addition to wanting to be closer to home and be able to start a family, I also got really clear, I love selling and I love delivering, mm-hmm. but I'm not that big a fan of being an administrator of, um, of a larger entity. Yeah. I love to manage people and manage clients and manage projects, but managing a firm was just not what I wanted to do. So although I have been invited to join clients repeatedly over the years and or to, people have asked me to join other consulting firms, mm-hmm. I love being a sole practitioner and having the flexibility that comes along with that. And every once in a while, a client will say, well, don't you want to have some employees? And my response is consistently, no, I've been there and done that. Mm-hmm. And it's also Mr. or Miss Client. It's in your best interest not to have me have employees sitting on the beach that I need to put to work on your project. You're better off with me having a cadre of really seasoned, talented friends and colleagues scattered around the country and the globe mm-hmm. that I can call on when their specific skill set and experiences and relationships are what you need rather than me putting to work my my person who's on the beach. Yeah, very good. I want to give you a couple of phrases that you've used. One mm-hmm. is you say you're the menace to facile consensus. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, I have to admit that I did not coin that phrase. I oh, can't that's a good where, one. I liked it. Where I read it. Yeah. Uh, but um, on my website landing page, mm-hmm. I say very specifically that alignment is the most important criterion for delivering sustainable results. And importantly, alignment is not consensus. In my work and in life generally, I don't see consensus very often. And in business, frankly, I've never seen it. Mm. So I, I look to create alignment, which is what I call agreeing to move forward together, even if you disagree factor in the decision and that's really important so who or could you describe your ideal client who is your ideal client my ideal client is somebody who is bright Mm -hmm. and capable of looking in the mirror at least a little and realize that they are not perfect who is intellectually really curious and looking to learn and get better at the craft of leading and mm-hmm. managing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter whether they are a first time or an experienced CEO or executive director of a not-for-profit um, or what industry they're in. I'm industry agnostic. I'm growth phase agnostic. It's really about a psychographic of the leader. Mm-hmm. How about the size of that organization by employee or does that even matter? There's probably a minimum that's too small, but. Well, 
sometimes I'll take on those those clients that are too small just because I'm enamored with this with the market opportunity yeah. or the leader who I think mm-hmm. is just a compelling human being mm-hmm. or it's a compelling product market fit situation. So my clients range right now from a low of less than 10 employees and a couple of million dollars in revenue to a high of thousands of employees and north of a billion dollars in revenue. The sweet spot is probably in the two in the 25 million to 250 million dollar range in okay. terms of revenue. Okay. Yeah. Um, with that with that answer, we're going to take another break. We'll be back in just a couple minutes with Greg Collins of Catalyze. You're listening to Winning Business Radio with Kevin Hallinan on W4CY Radio. That's W4CY.com. Don't go away. More helpful information is coming right up, right here on Winning Business Radio. Have you ever dreamed of having your own radio show? Well, W4CY Radio makes dreams come true. You can be a radio personality on the number one ranked internet radio station in West Palm Beach, Florida. We can be heard in 105 countries and all U.S. states. Promote your business. Earn up to $10,000 per month and more. It's all up to you. Have fun and be heard. Call 561-506-4031. That's 561-506-4031. Start your radio show now. This is Colt Ford, and you're listening to W4CY Radio. Be seen, be heard on the Internet's number one ranked radio station right here in West Palm Beach. What a way for your business to have a voice. Now is the time to advertise your business on W4CY.com. Call 561-506-4031 for a deal you won't refuse. Again, that's 561-506-4031. Don't wait. Call now. Hey, this is Johnny Three Tears from Hollywood Undead, and you're listening to W4CY Radio. Now back to Winning Business Radio with Kevin Hallinan, presenting exciting topics and expert guests with one goal in mind, to help you succeed in business. Here once again is Kevin Hallinan. We're back with Greg Collins, founder, chief catalyst at Catalyze. I didn't say the sole part. I guess I should have because it didn't roll off my tongue. Um, I want to mention a couple of other phrases that you use uh, in talking about yourself. One is, and I, I like this one. Uh, you're part mule, part wolf. Tell us about that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's something that a a client who became a friend yeah. uh, said about me at one point. And so the the part mule is I have amazing stamina mm-hmm. and can sustain a, a pretty mind numbing workload for yeah. a very long time. Uh, and we, he and I worked together for almost three years in what was financially the, the most productive project I ever did. Mm-hmm. And the wolf part is, and if somebody, and it kind of comes back to your earlier question just before the break about right. ideal client. Um, I've been told I don't suffer fools well. And when people aren't prepared or give inane answers to questions, mm-hmm. I, I have on occasion been a little bit wolfish in my response. <laughs> yeah. Now, my wife and two boys have helped me to be a little bit less wolfish, uh, but the the mule part is still there, and it, and it you know live and kicking. Very good. All right, how about this hyper discerning? Ah. So my um, my ophthalmologist mm. actually used that phrase to okay. describe my reaction to the prescription that she was um, that that her optometrist was prescribing, and I said, 
You know, you may be telling me it's 2020 corrected, but I'm telling you it is not satisfactory. Huh. And it's not clear. And she, she said, oh, you're, you're one of that few percentage of the population that we see every once in a while who we characterize as hyper discerning. Mm. And I said, oh, that describes the way I approach life in general. Mm -hmm. I, I care about what the last percent or two uh, of difference makes, not what the 98% dictates. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's good. All right, how about this one? Super impatient. <laughs> I think I share this one with you. Yeah, so um, I have the word presence and patience on stickies posted all over my office. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just constantly chomping at the bit. I am, I'm ready to go. And uh, let's, let's just say that patience is my greatest learning opportunity. Always. <laughs> well said. Well said. I've got two more. You never learned. I got a kick out of this one. You never learned to leave well enough alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so as, as a coach and consult, or I mm -hmm. ended up being a coach and consultant thinking that consulting would just be the way I found my next entrepreneurial adventure. And 20 years into consulting and coaching, I realized that they are my entrepreneurial adventure. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm happy doing it because going back to being knee high to a grasshopper, I, I can't remember ever looking at anything in my life and not having a point of view that it could be done better and having a point about how that could happen. Mm. So, and I also don't know how to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> well, you picked a good profession. Yeah. Um, because, and that leads to this last one. There are others, but these are, these are the ones I picked. You're fearless. You're willing to be fired at any time. That's something I think I do okay at. I need to get better at that because so, I, I agree I, with the, the, the mindset for sure. So I believe I owe that to my clients. Mm. I, I am I am there to shake things up mm -hmm. and you know my client is not any individual at the client organization. It's the vision that we craft for that organization so that whether it's the board, the CEO or the executive director, my job is to help them all individually and collectively to hold themselves accountable to, to doing what they need or are responsible for doing mm -hmm. to achieve that vision. And if that requires me to put my project and client relationship at risk, that's that's my obligation. Yeah. yeah. And the reality is it probably does the opposite. It, it generally does. I, there have been a couple of occasions mm -hmm. where I've called BS on BS and mm -hmm. it has cost me a client and mm -hmm. that was the right thing to do. Yeah, I'm with you there. Now, you, you mentioned that, uh, I read this in, whether it's your, I forget where I read this, but it was related to you, that your, your client is the vision of the mm -hmm. organization, not just the individuals of the board. Right. Talk about that. Well, and so um, that, the reason that I pointed at that just a minute ago, and I'm really glad you latched onto that, Kevin, is most consultants become beholden to an individual. Mm -hmm. And they feel as though their job is to help that individual succeed. Mm -hmm. But if that individual is, for lack of a nice way to put it, shirking their responsibility and doing what I refer to as management and leadership avoidance techniques, then my job yeah. is to help them to look in the mirror and appreciate that they are not doing what they're responsible for doing. And if they're my client, if I view them as my client... I am less likely to be as direct and emphatic with them as I'm responsible for being on occasion. Mm. Where do your clients uh, come from? I don't mean geographically, but how do they make their way to you? It's 100% word of mouth and referral. For up until a few years ago, I never even bothered to put up a web page. Mm -hmm. And then people kept saying, friends and, and clients kept saying, you know, it's nice to give somewhere a place, someone a place to go and confirm that, in fact, you do exist. Right. So I now have a three-page website that is seldom to never updated simply to confirm that, yes, in fact, I exist. Mm -hmm. It has a photo and a bio and a few quotes from clients and 
and the values that I subscribe to. So you really are trying to create effectiveness um, by those key contributors, um, leaders, et cetera, right? Very much so. And, and you actually used one of my favorite E words, which is effective mm-hmm. as opposed to efficient. And lots of my clients like to focus on being efficient and my mm-hmm. response to them, and they'll use that language. And my response to them is, you can be really efficient at doing the yeah. wrong thing and you're not going to be effective. So why don't I totally we totally agree? Effective? Yeah, I totally agree. And so what are some of the ways that they can be ineffective? So I find that almost without exception, CEOs and executive directors believe that they are much clearer and more compelling in Mm. articulating their organization's mission and vision than they are. And if they can't articulate it well enough for me to get it, and I I get missions and visions for a living, Mm -hmm. I tell them, you're not as compelling or clear as you think you are. And if you're not clear with your vision, how can you be clear with your strategy? Because if you don't, as a, as, as a friend once told me, if you don't know where you're going, any train will get you there. That's right. That's so right. if you don't know where you're heading in terms of your vision, then any strategy will get you there. And almost all strategies are wrong. Another phrase I latched on to is that you pay close attention to the language people use as a lens into the way the organization and its people avoid, accept, and confront difficult issues. Talk about that. So one of my uh, least favorite and best oral tics Mm. is when a member of a leadership team says to another member of the team, I don't disagree. Well, do you agree or do you disagree? Because don't disagree doesn't mean diddly. Mm. And it's clear based on the fact that you said it, that you at least to some extent don't agree. So let's have that conversation. That's very good. Hopefully that example is clarifying. That's that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, Another phrase, um, you make the difficult possible Mm. and the possible real. Why can't clients do this for themselves? I'm not going to say that they can't. It's just a lot harder when you live in an ecosystem full time. And most leaders are, when I say full time, they're putting in a lot of hours. And when they're not actually working, they're still thinking about the business. And I'm able to come at the business and the organization without having been mired in the muck for you know, months or years, or in some cases, decades. Mm. And so I come at it with a fresh perspective and I, and I come at it actually wearing a different set of lenses than the inhabitants of the, of the space wear. Uh, this probably varies, but what is a, I don't know if typical is the right word. What do engagements look like in terms of time? So they're pretty bifurcated It's either a one and done, which is a six month piece of work typically, um, Mm -hmm. and the chemistry is just not quite right for the relationship between me and whomever the leader or leadership team is Mm -hmm. to for it to run. And if if it is more than a one and done, which is probably probably most of the time, the work turns into multiple years and in Mm -hmm. some cases, you know, a decade or longer. Mm -hmm. But if that happens, if if it continues for years and longer, my responsibility is to keep evolving my role as the organization evolves Mm -hmm. because staying in the same role, delivering the same services year after year, in my opinion, is not in the best service of the client. Yeah. I want to read a piece of your bio and I want you to expand on this. This this, uh, spoke to me. You believe that most consulting and coaching provides little lasting value to the client organization because most consultants and coaches, though adept at engaging their clients' brains, fail to, here's the part I, I, you know, that jumped out at me, fail to adequately engage the heart, spirit, and imagination of their clients and their organizations or don't sufficiently appreciate the context within the team or within which the organization operates. Expand on Mm -hmm. that if you would. Sure. So I subscribe to a model that says we are, as human beings, we are comprised of multiple parts, almost Mm -hmm. like sub-personalities. It's called Mm -hmm. internal family systems. Mm -hmm. And some of us lead with our head, some of us lead with our heart, some of us lead with our gut. And 
we as consultants and professional service providers have been used, have been trained to lead with our head. If all we do is latch on to the head parts of our clients, we're not engaging mm-hmm. important parts of who they are and important parts of what will help them to get through the tough parts of implementing strategies and delivering results. So my job, the way I see it, is to engage not only the head, but the heart and the gut as well. Mm. And I can do that more effectively coming to the second half of what you read by being really aware of the context within which they're operating. So I'm very serious about getting down and dirty and Mm. learning about my client business, businesses. Um, here's another, you use the word ruthless. I like using the word ruthless when I'm talking to sales organizations about how they use their time in particular mm. prospecting. You say this, uh, so you say ruthlessly prioritize and sequence expand on that. Absolutely. So strategy, when you get down to it is about prioritizing mm-hmm. and sequencing initiatives and tasks. Mm -hmm. And if one is not ruthless about the prioritization and sequencing of those initiatives and tasks, one is squandering resource. And most organizations are the exact opposite of ruthless about prioritization and sequencing. Most organizations are unwilling to focus and say no to most things in order to say yes and do a, a small subset of things really well. So that's, when I say ruthless, I'm talking about for every one thing you say you're going to do, mm. what three or five or 10 things are you going to say no to? Right. Right. Yep. In fact, give me a moment. I wanted to point that out. Uh, let's see. Good radio when the host has to look up something, right? Um it was in some of the choices that you're making that you make on a regular basis. Uh, you know what? I, I'll try to paraphrase. Um, just that point in your personal life, you've learned to say no based because it, there's an opportunity cost there. Right. Mm. So if you, well, go ahead, you, you, you know, say no, why in your own life? So I will say, I say to my boys, and I was, I was told this by somebody 25 years ago, and I, I hated hearing it. You can have anything you want. You just can't have everything you want. Yeah. And I believe that. And it took me over a year to process and really come to grips with the importance of that statement. I was probably 30-something at the time. And the, the idea that we can do everything that we want is just faulty, and that, at least in my opinion, and making choices and trade-offs is what the crux of doing well in business and being happy in life is all about. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed that one. Um, on change, you, you said that real change is an ugly and uncomfortable process long before it becomes glorious and delivers results. Mm-hmm. The ugly part is what? The ugly part is the... Two o'clock in the morning, waking yeah. up in the middle of the night, wrestling with a difficult people issue or strategic challenge. It's having to say to a friend with whom you've worked for 20 years, I'm sorry, but this is not working and it's yeah. time for us to help you go find somewhere else to, to play. Mm-hmm. It's, it's saying, you know, I, I see where you're heading and I don't agree. And we've had this conversation three times. You know, it, it's basically having all those difficult conversations that you alluded to in reading my bio. Um, yeah. And ultimately, if you're willing to, to get down and dirty and walk through the muck, you, you have a chance of getting to the point where you're delivering results that nobody really believed you could deliver to begin with. Yeah. To that point, and we are almost out of time, who in the listening audience should have a conversation with you? Any leader or member of a leadership team who Mm -hmm. is dissatisfied with the status quo in their organization and is looking to have a confidential conversation Mm -hmm. about how they might do things better and differently moving forward. And I didn't clarify this, but I I, I thought it was somewhat obvious, but let, let me in fact, clarify for the listeners, geography doesn't matter. 
geography does not matter, particularly in the world of Zoom right, or, right. or video conferencing. But right. I, I've worked all over the world, and I, I, it's all about the opportunity to be helpful. But I know, like me, you travel when necessary, pre- and post-pandemic. Yeah, I've done it a couple. Yeah, me too. Um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Uh, they can send me an email. They can go mm-hmm. to my website. Um, they can text me. Um, so w- let's go with the website easy, right? Website is www.catalyzellc.com. That's Catalyze without the E at the end, LLC. Mm-hmm. And Gmail, uh, sorry, an email is Greg Collins at CatalyzeLLC.com. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate the time. And uh, I always like to learn something, and I did. And you were great. Thanks a lot. Oh, Kevin, thank you for the invitation. And you you were great. I really enjoyed spending time together. Thank you very much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. As most of you know, it's a show about business and business challenges and successes. If you've got concerns about the growth of your company, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook or LinkedIn at Winning Business Radio. Or you can drop me a note, Kevin, at winningbusinessradio.com. Our company, Winning Incorporated, we're part of Sandler, the Sandler Training Universe. We develop sales teams into high achievers and sales leaders into true coaches and mentors. Listen, we're not right for everybody, but maybe we should have a conversation. Thank you, as always, to expert engineer Rebel Medler. Tune in again next Monday, February 9th at 4 p.m. Eastern, when my guests, plural, will be Lisa Peterson and Stephen Kopshaw of the Stellis Group. They help brick-and-mortar small business owners grow and scale their businesses. Until then, this is Kevin Hallinan. You've been listening to Winning Business Radio with your host, Kevin Hallinan. If you missed any part of this episode, the podcast is available on Talk 4 Podcasting and iHeartRadio. For more information and questions, go to winningbusinessradio.com or check us out on social media. Tune in again next week and every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time to listen live to Winning Business Radio on W4CY Radio, W4CY.com. Until then, let's succeed where others have failed and win in business with Kevin Hallinan and Winning Business Radio.